0: Well, I am really excited about sharing this series of foundational truth with you that we're producing as a ministry. You know, we all need a firm place to stand, and this world can be so shaky at times. And I'm especially excited about sharing this truth about our spirit, soul, and body with you because when God taught me this lesson quite a few years ago, it literally became a firm place, a foundational place for me to plant my feet. And I believe it's going to be that for you as well. Will you pray with me? Oh, God, I want to pray for every person who ever listens to this teaching, Lord, that you will take your truth and put it underneath our feet and give us a firm place to stand in the way we think, in the way we respond to life, in the way that we reflect your glory, Lord may you just infuse us with your truth as we listen to your word as we study your word and gain understanding god may it make a difference in how we live thank you for the foundation that you are our rock in jesus name amen you know i believe the bible teaches that god created us to be a reflection of him when i hear the word reflection i immediately think about a mirror Throughout history, women have had a love-hate relationship with mirrors. I was talking with a woman the other day, and she said, I have never had a full-length mirror in my house before. I don't want to see what's there. But on the other hand, we want the mirror to tell us we look good, right? When we say, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? See, we're always searching the mirror for a pretty reflection. You think about it. Most women can't walk by a mirror without looking in it even if they try to act like they're not. We've got mirrors that are lighted, little mirrors that we take in our purses, mirrors that are magnified so we can see ourselves even closer up. We've got houses these days that are being built with huge mirrors in the bathrooms, and we sit in front of mirrors in salons, and we even have mirrors that we can see our backside, which that's a little scary at times, I think. But, you know, if we love the mirror so much and we give it so much attention... Why does history reveal that we also hate it at the same time? Why? Well, because the mirror tells all. And usually, each time we look in the mirror, we're aware that we're not measuring up. Think about being a little girl. You know, we're never satisfied with what we see. Someone else always has prettier hair or a prettier dress. The older we get, the mirror reveals things like wrinkles and bulges and yellowing teeth and roots in our hair that need to be colored and widening backsides and all manner of things. Let's just face it. We as women have a love-hate relationship with this thing called the mirror. And I want to talk to you in this teaching about how and when that all began. But before we begin, let me just say this. I imagine that as you're listening here, you you probably have some things going on in your life that you wish the mirror didn't reveal. You wish that you could just walk away from these things and forget them or never see them again. Maybe it's a struggling marriage relationship or a sin pattern in your life. Maybe a struggle with an addiction or gossip or dishonesty or eating too much or sexual immorality. Maybe you wish the mirror wouldn't reveal the sickness that your body is going through. Or the loneliness you feel or the empty place that your heart has become. You wish the mirror would just stop reflecting the strife in your home or the waywardness of one of your children. Mirrors can be brutal at times because they do their job. They reveal what's really there. And many times we don't want to look at what's really there. And so often we can get so focused on what we see in the mirror, the struggles of life that stare us in the face day after day, and we easily can forget where they really even came from. So I really believe the Lord is directing us to just give some foundational truth, to teach about some foundational things that characterize this love-hate relationship we as women have with the mirror. See, if we are really interested in our lives reflecting the glory of God, we have to understand the whole story of why many times they don't. If you've got a Bible, and I encourage you to get one, I'd like for you to turn to Genesis 1. I'm going to mainly be teaching out of the New American Standard Version, but I would encourage you to get your Bible out regardless if you have that version or, or a different one. Let's go to Genesis 1 and let the story begin, and I encourage you to follow along. In the first couple verses of this uh, chapter... We find that there is nothing. Everything is formless and void except for God. God was there. And in verse 3, we see that it says, In the beginning He created light. He just said it. He said, Let there be light. And there was light. I find that fascinating. That He just spoke light into existence. And as you continue reading in the Word of God, you find that He Himself is the light. If you keep going through verse 25 of chapter 1, you find He just continued to create. God made all of these things out of nothing in just six days with His artistic and creative genius. He came up with it all. But there's one thing that we haven't mentioned yet in all of those things that as you get through verse 25, you still haven't seen, and that's us, that He created us. I want to read verses 26 and 27 for you chapter 1 it says then God said let us make man in our own image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them you know there's something very different about how God created man Verse 27 tells us He created us in His own image. We were created to be a reflection of Him. In fact, verse 28 gives us even more insight into that. It says, God said, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, keep producing offspring in my image. All the other creation was to produce after its kind. And the direction was to continue to reproduce after its kind. But for man, the direction was to fill the earth with images of God. Images of him, reflections of him and he said rule over and subdue the earth. See just as God rules over us He gave us authority to watch over the rest of his creation as if he were right here himself We were made in his image and we were to relate to the earth and to its creatures and its inhabitants as reflections of God Almighty throughout the Bible we see this again and again I mean, just a couple of references here. In Psalm 100, verse 3, it says, It is He who has made us, not we ourselves. We are His people. In Isaiah 43, verse 7, God is speaking through Isaiah, and He says, Everyone who is called by My name, who I have created for My glory. Glory is a true reflection of something. And God created us to be a reflection of Him in the earth. Verses 29 and 30, we see that God provided for man to do all that He had created man to do. See, He made sure that we were equipped to reflect Him. We were made in His image. We were given to man. And then in these verses, we see that we're given provision for everything that we need. So how did God feel about His creation? Well, as we look here, we see that when God held the mirror up to all He had created, He loved what He saw. Verse 31 says, God saw all that He had made, and behold... It was very good. Now let's make a note here as well. At this time, if the woman had held up the mirror, there would have been no hatred for what she saw, no, no war going on in the mirror, no imperfections. She was designed and created to reflect her maker and that's exactly what she did. So what happened to this reflection? What problem came about? I'm sure that many of you are already familiar with this as you listen. You know, it's foundational to our faith. But let's remember this is the living, active Word of God and not think we already know this just because we've heard the story many times. So let's track together and see what God wants to show us. And let's humble ourselves to the power of His Word and the depths that we can learn there. As we keep reading in Genesis, we see that Genesis 2 actually broadens our understanding of the creation of man. Actually, Genesis 1, the The context of of Genesis 1 is repeated in Genesis 2. You you hear the same story. Again, you just get more and more detail. And I like that because it's a woman, I, I like the details. We find as chapter 2 begins that God rested on the seventh day. But look at verse 7 of chapter 2. There's a bigger description of man's creation. In verse 7, let me read it for you. It says, Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in the Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. See, not only did he form man, we find that he formed him from the dust. And then he actually breathed the life into his nostrils. And then he put man in this garden. And then he provided for man. In verse 9 it says, And out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight. And good for food. The tree of life, also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God made the garden for man. He gave him trees that are pleasing to the sight, trees that are good for food. And note that the tree of life was very accessible to man. He could just go to it all the time. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was present there too, but God was going to give him some directions about that that we will see. Now, at this point, only the male has been created. Genesis 2 gives us a more detailed description that Genesis one twenty seven, where it says that God created us in his own image. And so let's keep looking at this more detailed description. Verses 10 through 14 show us how God provided water for the man and also gave him beauty. Verse 15 shows us how he put him in the garden and he told him, he gave him some directions. He didn't just put him there, he, he gave him some directions. He said, cultivate the garden, keep the garden. And then in verses 16 and 17, very important verses for what we're talking about in this foundational truth God gave man freedom and very wise boundaries. Listen to what he says in verse 16 and 17. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. You know, this reminds me yet again of Psalm 100 verse 3 that says, Know that the Lord himself is God. It's He who has made us, not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. See, God has the authority to say, You can eat of this tree, but not of this one. And that's what He told the man. That's what He told the woman. God made us to reflect Him. We are not God. So let's keep looking to see how this problem developed because at this time... The reflection is still beautiful. Beginning in verse 18, the Lord sees man's need for a helper. And as we read through verse 25, we find the details of how God fashioned us as women. Such creativity and love for His creation. And as God held up the mirror, the man and the woman were naked. But there was no shame, it says in verse 25. There's no problem yet. The problem all began when the serpent showed up and started speaking against the freedom and the boundaries that God had given. The man and the woman were given these this freedom and boundaries by God, but they had a right to choose what they wanted to do with them. As the serpent, who is Satan, comes on the scene, he begins to question God's plan of freedom and boundaries. In verse 1 of chapter 3, he says... Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. How does the woman respond? Well, in verses 2 and 3, she says, Oh, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. Now, this tells us that the woman understood the boundary that God had given. Well, you know how misery loves company. Well, Satan was one miserable mess. He, too, had at one time been a reflection of the glory of God. He was an angel in the midst of God, showing forth God's glory. But his desire to get the glory himself had marred his ability to reflect God's glory. Now all he can reflect is sin. Shame and darkness and ugliness is all that he saw in the mirror. Well, misery does love company, so he didn't want anyone to like what they saw in the mirror. So he continues to taunt Eve And in verses 4 and 5, he says, You shall surely not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. You will know good and evil. How does Eve respond? Look at the first part of verse 6. It says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes. You know, there's really not much wrong with that. If you look back in verse 9 of chapter 2, that's the way God made things. He, he made all the trees to be beautiful and of and delight to the eyes and good for food. But he had put some boundaries around this particular tree. Even though it was good for food, he said, don't eat of it. I wish it didn't go on, but it does. So Let's read the whole of verse 6. It says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and she ate She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. The woman entered into a realm that God never desired, a realm that marred his image in her, a realm that would cause distress every time she looked in the mirror. What was it? She wanted her own glory. It says, and it was delight to the eyes and desirable to make one wise. She wanted to be like God. In verse 7, we see this is the first time they looked in the mirror and they saw shame. And if you keep reading in chapter 3 of Genesis, you can almost hear the sadness in the voice of God as He talks with Adam and Eve because no longer is their reflection pure and full of glory. In fact, it's anything but that. Chapter 3 goes on to spell out to Adam and Eve all that their lives are going to reflect, strife and pain and lack. Unmet needs, dominion, cursings, unsatisfied labors, problems, sweat, and even death. It was never supposed to be this way. We were created in the image of God to reflect His image. What happened? How could things change so fast? Remember how I said earlier, I imagine that many of you have things going on in your lives you wish the mirror wouldn't reveal. You wish you could just walk away from them and forget about them. And we we even name some things that maybe are going on in your lives as you look in the mirror and you wish you didn't have to see them. But here's the thing. Once sin has entered in, we cannot undo it. We can't just walk away from it like it never happened because the problem is way bigger than we think. See, some would read the story and some do read the story and they say, goodness gracious, all she did was eat a piece of fruit. How bad can that be? What's the real problem if you go back to Genesis 1 through 3 the whole chapters and pick them apart a bit we find it's essential that we understand what the problem really is Genesis 1:27 makes it clear we're made in the image of God but what does that mean what does it mean to be made in the image of God well so many things that in fact we probably will never understand it all but we do know for sure that we can understand this God, in His very nature, is one. He's one God, but He's three. We, we term that the Trinity. He's Father, Son, Spirit. Hard to understand, but true. Well, God's Word also reveals to us that we're, we're made in His image. We're not just one either. We are three. We are spirit. We are soul. And we are body. One and three. Three and one. Made in the image of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 reveals that as well as many other portions of scripture. We see that we have a spirit, a soul, and a body. Well, what are they? If, if that makes up who we are, what is our spirit? Our spirit is the place where God dwells within us. Our soul is kind of the seat of our personality. It's our, our mind, our will, our emotions. Sometimes it's called our flesh. And then our body it's really just a shell that our spirit and soul reside in it's not all of who we are it's kind of like a tent the bible calls it that the rest of us is housed in while we're here on this earth hold on to that thought of those definitions of those three parts of us and look again at genesis 2 16 and 17 what did god tell adam when he put these boundaries around him he told him if you eat of this fruit you will surely die Now, you read with me through the third chapter. You know the story. Did Adam and Eve die when they ate the fruit? Most would say, well, eventually, but not right away. But let's not forget, we're made in God's image, spirit, soul, body. There was an immediate death. When they rebelled against God, God's spirit would no longer live in their spirit. God's spirit within them died. And eventually, their body died. And their soul now could possibly experience death in hell. It would definitely experience death-like effects while they were still on the earth. We just named some of those things that they would now have to come under. They got exactly what the serpent said they would get. (laughs) They became like God. In other words, trying to provide for their lives instead of reflecting the God who lives within them. Trying to be God over their own lives their total purpose for being uh, created was now gone. See, it never works for man to be like God because we were not created to be that way. Remember what Psalm 100 says? Know that the Lord Himself is God, the only God. It is He who has made us, not we ourselves. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. If you turn just a couple of pages over in Genesis to the time of Noah You can see what happens when man tries to be his own God or be like God for himself. In Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, we find that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was so great on the earth that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And it goes on to say that God is sorry that he made him. (laughs) How horrible. What God had created to reflect him now only reflects evil and shame. How did it get so bad? When just a few generations before that, the Lord of heaven, the perfect holy God had created man and woman to be a pure reflection of himself. Here's how. When man is left to himself, trying to act like God of his own life, he will always create destruction. When the spirit of God does not live in man, man cannot reflect God. Man will always choose sin when left to himself. That's what the Bible means when it talks about the law of sin and death. You know the law of gravity. If you hold something up and you drop it, it's going to fall to the ground. That's the law of gravity. It's what always happens. Well, there is a law of sin and death. And here's what it is. Man will always move towards sin when he tries to rule his own life. He doesn't even have a choice. He is enslaved to himself as a sinner. Romans, in the book of Romans in the New Testament... Chapter 8, verse 7. Listen to what it says. It says the mind set on the flesh. In other words, the mind set on being its own God. Okay? The mind set on the flesh, on the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions is hostile towards God. It doesn't even subject itself to the law of God. And this is, the, here's what's so interesting. It says, for it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. See, when the spirit of God is not in man, man's going to choose sin. He doesn't even have a choice. He's not even able to subject himself to the law of God. Eve, when she took of that fruit, she thought she was choosing freedom. But here's what she really chose. She chose slavery to sin. She chose to put herself in a place where she couldn't even hear God or see God or know God. Be very, very clear about this. The main problem that Adam and Eve's choice created is this. The spirit of God no longer lived in man. The spirit of man died. That's why in Ephesians 2, it says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. I used to read that and I would think, what do you mean I'm dead? I'm walking around, are I? I'm alive. No, I was dead. My spirit was dead because of sin. See, many problems flow out of that death of the spirit of God in man. We become a slave to sin. And that slavery then results in more sin and more sin and more sin. For instance, let's say sexual immorality. Someone wants to do a certain thing regardless of what God has said and they do it because it feels good to, to them. Remember the soul, it's the, what we want, what we think, what we feel. Well, they do that. But see, then that sin just leads to more sin. It creates all kinds of other problems born out of sin. For instance, it creates sexual immorality. And, and then that creates disease many times and then heartbreak and unwanted pregnancy and strongholds of lust and the shame that come from abortion and broken families and all kinds of horrible things. When men want to be their own God, when the flesh and the body rule the lives of men, sin takes over and it imprisons us. That's why it only took several generations to create the mess we see in the mirror in Genesis 6, 5 and 6. God has had it with man. He just wants to wipe them off the face of the earth. Every image that the mirror reveals is sinful and ugly. But as we read on, we see God's heart is way too big for that. He's too faithful. He's too good. He's too redeeming for that. In fact, we don't even have to read on. Right in the middle of Genesis chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve's choice, We find that God already had a plan in place. Genesis 3, 15, and I want to read this out of the New International Version. God is speaking to the serpent after this sin. And here's what he says. He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. What in the world is that talking about? It's a beautiful passage when we understand it. God's speaking to the serpent and he's saying, there's going to constantly be a war going on between you and all the offspring of this woman. Uh, You know, all the generations of mankind are going to be battling it out with Satan for, you know, all the time left on this earth. And that's exactly what's happened. The battle between good and evil. There's going to be this battle going on. And so it sounds like he's talking in a plural sense. And he is at first. But then God speaks and this is a prophecy of Jesus. He says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Here he's talking plural and then all of a sudden he says he. And who is that he? Jesus Christ. He says, he will crush your head. Over in Romans chapter 16, it says the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Jesus crushed the head of Satan when he died on the cross and rose from the grave. And God also says, you will strike his heel. And Satan would. Satan would strike the heel of Jesus when Jesus was on the cross. When someone is crucified, their heel is bruised. Some versions say you will bruise his heel. See, right here, right after this sin, we find out God already has a solution to our problem. In fact, if you want to know the truth, the solution was in place long before God ever even created us in the first place. The book of Ephesians reveals that before God created anything, let alone man in his own image, he's already made a plan for the Savior. Ephesians 1.4 says that before the foundation of the world, he chose us to be holy and blameless before him in Christ. See, we can't be holy and blameless before God any other way except for in Christ. And before he even laid the foundations of the earth, he had already planned it out. He knew his plan to create us in his own image. He knew we would mess up the plan. So being God, not just like God, but being God, the actual loving God he is, he made a plan. We make plans, but our plans don't come true. God's plans. And he made the plan. He is the God. And here's the plan. And you probably already know it, but I want to stop right now. And ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you with fresh eyes, fresh ears, fresh hearts. Allow this message to penetrate your soul. As a sinner, and we're all sinners, we all try to be our own God. We try to be like God. But it never works. Because we were not created to be like Him. We were created to be a reflection of Him. In order for something to reflect something else... Both have to be present, right? But see, sin messed all that up because when we want to be like God, we destroy that reflection because sin causes a death, a death of the Spirit of God in you. So He's not even there for us to reflect Him. But God sent Jesus, our Savior. Jesus is God. He came and took on flesh like a man. He dealt with every temptation we've ever dealt with and yet He never chose sin. The Spirit of God never, ever left Him until He took on your sin and mine. You know, as Jesus hung there on the cross and bore the weight of all our sin, He cried out in a loud voice. He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, why have you left me? Jesus, too, experienced this death, complete death, the death of God's Spirit, the death of His body and the death of His soul as He spent three days in hell. But Jesus is God. And what death did to you and me, it could not do to Jesus because He's God. He's Lord over death. And He rose from the grave. He gave to you and to me the opportunity to be raised to life again. Well, what does that mean? It means that the Spirit of God can come to life in you again. You don't have to live trying to be like God, living out of your soul and your body, creating shame and struggle every time you look in the mirror. No, you can live as God created you to live in His image because His Spirit can come to life in you again when you profess your belief in the salvation of His Son, Jesus Christ. You can come back into life, into relationship with God again. That's the solution. His Spirit alive in you. That's the solution for the problems in the mirror. You might be thinking, but I thought it was all about heaven. Well, I would say to you that you are like me for many years. Maybe you have a a, kind of a warped view of what eternal life really is. When the Bible speaks of eternal life, it's speaking of the life of God living in you for all eternity. Your body's going to die one day. You're going to get a new one in heaven. There won't ever show a wrinkle or a bulge in the mirror. But your spirit, God's spirit within you is never going to die again. It will live forever. He will live forever within you. So you're going to live forever and your soul will never have to experience the torment of hell. All because of Christ. He is your Savior born in you. This eternal life has already begun in you and it will just continue to live forever. Jesus living within you is eternal life. The answer to your real problem with the mirror because now that he lives within you, he can give direction to how you live. And we're going to be talking more about that. We all have a problem with the mirror in one way or another. You know, if I held up a mirror to each one of us, I am more than certain that we could all point out something rather quickly that we don't like about our reflection. Maybe it's our hair or our skin or our clothes or our weight. I mean, you know, those are just woman things, you know? And I certainly can't fix all that, nor has God ever given me a job assignment to do that. (laughs) Truth is, I can't fix anything anyway. I can only point you to the truth that tells us who can. The truth that says Jesus can be your Savior. And I know for many of us and many of you who are listening, He already is, praise God. And I hope that this teaching is just a fresh reminder and maybe an opening up of some more understanding of all that He's really done in your life. How by His grace, He's given you a second chance to live out your real purpose in life, to really be a reflection of Him. But I imagine that somebody that listens to this may not have even chosen Jesus yet. You're still trying to be like God in your own life. Still trying to run your own life. The Bible says you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Who paid that price? Jesus. So that you don't have to live with shame in the mirror before God. He gave His life. It's a high price. You don't have to live with shame in the mirror before God. And even beyond that, your life can have the opportunity to reflect Him. To actually live out the purpose for which you were created. I hope you know there's a choice before us. See, I believe that's why God had me share this foundation of our struggle with the mirror. Because it goes way beyond what we can see on the surface. And if we want to move forward to reflecting the God of heaven in our lives, we've got to understand what the real problem is. Many of you already have the solution within you. The Spirit of God came to life within you when you accepted Jesus. We're going to be talking about that in just a few minutes so you can really move forward in reflecting His image. But for some that are listening, the main problem is still the main problem, meaning you have not yet accepted Jesus Christ. You've not professed your belief in Him and you need to get that worked out so that you can move forward to reflecting the image of God. And I encourage you to do that. You can contact us at establishedfootsteps.com and we'll be happy to walk you through that decision. See, I believe you cannot hear this truth from God's word and not respond. Either respond in gratefulness of understanding what what that means in your life for Jesus to have died and risen for you. Or respond with acceptance for the very first time that you are ready to accept Jesus and give your life to him. Father God, I just thank you for the truth of your word. God, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to embrace all that you have for your people as your spirit comes to life within us again. Continue to open up our hearts with understanding of these foundations that you want us to walk in, Lord Jesus. Amen. You know, I want to continue talking about this whole reflection thing and and to take it to the next step. See, it's one thing to know and understand. It's a whole other thing to move that understanding into action. And and I'm wondering if after all this talk about mirrors, if maybe we'll look in the mirror a bit differently now. You know, isn't it funny sometimes the things we see when we, we look into the mirror or glance into the mirror at a different mindset? I know a few weeks ago. I came home from a very busy afternoon. I had run some errands before I had picked up my son from school. And then we had to go to Target before we came home. And when I came home, I went into the bathroom for just a minute. And we have a full-length mirror on the back of the door. And when I closed it, I just glanced at my reflection. And for whatever reason, as I glanced at my reflection, I noticed something that I hadn't noticed when I had looked before. I noticed that I was wearing two different shoes. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. I started to backtrack in my mind and try to remember had I changed a shoe since I came in the house? I-, I couldn't remember. So I went downstairs quickly so I could ask my son. And I-, I looked at him and I said, did I have these two different shoes on in Target? He looked at me and he said, yeah. I said, why didn't you say something to me about it? I don't know, he said. Teenage boys. <laughs> Here I'd been running all over town wearing two different shoes and never knew it till I looked in the mirror. <laughs> I was embarrassed. I was frustrated with myself. I thought, has your life gotten so overwhelmed you don't even realize that you're wearing two very different shoes? Now, I'm sure that most of us would have had similar feelings to mine over this situation. And maybe you've even done the same thing at one time or another. But even if you haven't actually worn two different shoes on your literal feet, the truth is we often look just like that spiritually. Our lives look like that when we look in the spiritual mirror. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let me explain. First, let's review what we've been talking about. We looked at the story of creation. We determined from God's Word that we're created in His image. We have a spirit, a soul, and a body. We're three in one, one in three, just like Him. We're designed to reflect Him. We saw that that went great until man tried to be like God instead of reflect God. Until man tried to rule his own life by making his own choice outside of the realm of God's wisdom and boundaries. Well, that created a big problem. See, as a result of man's choices, sin entered the world and so did death. And this death affected every part of us. It affected our spirit. God's spirit will not live in the presence of sin. So our spirit died in sin. Our soul, see, our mind, will, and emotions end up in all kinds of death in this life when we live in sin on this earth. We we saw sin determine the fate of our soul to be hell. Our mind, will, and emotions tormented for eternity because of sin. And for many of us, that begins on this earth as our mind struggles and and deals with death-like stuff and our emotions. I mean, I I talk to women all the time and their emotions are just almost in death. They're like the walking dead. And all of that's because of sin. Our body is affected because of this choice. Because of sin, this shell, this tent that we live in will one day die. Because of sin, men are now living on the earth with one part missing, their spirit. They're separated from God. But we also saw that God has a solution. In fact, before the foundation of the world, He planned to take Jesus to take care of the problem, to send Jesus to take care of the problem. Jesus' death on the cross justified us. Now, what does that mean? That's a big word, justification. It basically means His death made us just as if we've never sinned. It's an easy way to remember that justification, just as if we've never, just as if we've never sinned. See, His death allowed us the opportunity to have God's Spirit alive in us again. When we accept Jesus Christ, His Spirit in us is literally reborn. That's why when Nicodemus approached Jesus in John chapter 3, Jesus told him he needed to be born again. See, Nicodemus' spirit was dead, but through Christ, his spirit could be born again. Paul was someone who really understood this. And God used Paul to write about it again and again throughout the New Testament. If you turn over to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, this is such a great passage over in the New Testament. Romans chapter 5, Paul wrote this. Verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, and remember what that is, that's, we're, we've been put in a place where we don't have sin, okay, in God's eyes. He made us just as if we'd never sinned. We've been justified by faith, this faith in Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, whereas we've been at war with God over this whole sin issue, His Spirit wouldn't live within us, Jesus' death justified us, made us as if we'd never sinned and created peace with God for us. In Romans... Chapter 5, verse 2, the next verse, it says, Through whom, and it's talking about Jesus, through Christ, we've also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in the glory of God. We're going to pick this apart a little bit. See, our salvation is our introduction into this grace. We exalt in the hope of the glory of God. See, the rebirth of our spirit in Christ is the beginning, the introduction of our eternal life. It's the introduction for us into a place of grace that we now stand. The NIV version says that we've actually gained access. So it's definitely this beginning aspect. No longer am I at war with God over my sin. His grace sent Jesus for me and I received Him and now I have peace with God. I've been introduced into a new way of life. What is this new way of life? No longer am I just living with a soul and a body. I now have a spirit. And I've gained access into this new life because of Jesus and His grace. And what is this new way of life? It's the life in the Spirit. I'm living with God's Spirit alive in me. I'm complete. I'm whole as He created me to be. So I've been introduced into this new way of living. But it also says that we, because of all that, now we can exalt in the hope of the glory of God. See, you, you want to know what that means? See, I can be excited about the possibility of God's glory actually being reflected in me. I can be excited about the possibility of God's true purpose in my life actually taking place. What is that purpose? Go back to Genesis 127. I was created in His image, created to reflect the glory of God. See, back when I was dead in my trespasses and sins, there was no way, no way that was ever going to happen. I can't reflect something that isn't there. But now, through Christ, His Spirit is alive in me. So there's hope that I can reflect His image, His glory in my life. So this great hope is there. But let's get some understanding to see what's really going on in many of our lives. Why many of us look as if we're actually wearing two different shoes on our feet when when we're in the midst of this great hope. Once we're in Christ, our sins are forgiven. His Spirit is alive in us again. Hallelujah! We should just see the glory of God all over the place. I mean, with the Spirit of God alive in me, the reflection in the room when I come in should be so bright, everyone should have to put their sunglasses on, right? But it's not like that. Why? Think of it this way. Say a woman has been living her own life for 20 years. For all of her life, she's been like her own God, reflecting her own soul, living out of her soul and her body, you know, that's been directing the course of her life. Her soul, her mind, her will and emotions has been in charge of what she does with her body. She thinks her own thoughts. That's what she does with her mind. She makes her own choices with her will. She feels whatever she wants to feel. Her emotions take her on all kinds of rides. But then she comes to know Jesus. She accepts his free gift of grace and she has an introduction into a new way of life. She has gained access. God's spirit is alive in her again. There is now hope for her to live out her true purpose of reflecting God's image in her. And that's right, ladies. That's a key word. There is hope. There is hope for that to happen. But it's not a guarantee. Why? Why? Why is it not guaranteed? Well, think about it. For 20 years, she has been living with her soul telling her what to do. Her mind, her will, her emotions. Her soul has been the designer of her life. Now... Sometimes the Bible will interchange this word soul with the word flesh. They're both the same word, okay? They're both translated from the same Greek word, which is the word suke. They mean the same thing. So I'll interchange them some too as we continue. When the soul or the flesh is in charge of designing your life and what you're going to walk in in all those years, it it isn't going to just move over and all of a sudden let the Spirit of God take over. Now that the Spirit of God has been born again into this woman's life, she's gained an introduction. She's got an access pass into her real purpose for living. But there's a dilemma that's going to have to be dealt with every single day. And here's the dilemma. Who's going to be in charge? Who's going to be the designer of her life? Is it going to be her soul, her flesh? Or is it going to be her spirit? Earlier I told you about wearing two shoes. And I said, you know what? That is how many of us live every single day. See, the Spirit is trying to tell us to put on one kind of shoe and walk with Him in this way, and our soul is telling us to put on another kind of shoe so we can walk in the flesh. How many of us know that wearing two different kinds of shoes is not attractive? Why was I so upset that day when I looked in the mirror? Well, I like to look nice. I try to take care of my appearance, but the mirror didn't look very good when I realized I had two shoes on. And in the same way, if we truly want to reflect the Lord's image in our lives, we cannot live with two designers in charge. We have to choose our spirit. Galatians 5 says, If we live by the Spirit, and ladies, that is the only way you are alive in Christ, by the Spirit of God living within you. It's not anything you've done. It's not anything you did to you know um, please God on your own. It's only by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit of God coming to life in us again. So if we live by the Spirit, well, that's how you live. Then it says, let us also walk by the spirit. In other words, let us, let him put our shoes, two shoes, the same shoes, the spirit shoes on our feet and let us move on out and let's walk in the spirit, reflecting the glory of God. It's easier said than done. Let's, let's look at an example. Over in Acts, the book of Acts chapter five, we find a story of a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And this, story took place in the early days of the church in the times when god's spirit had just been released to come to life in believers and sapphira was a new believer she had been introduced into this new grace this new way of living god's spirit was alive in her but the bible records a sad story of her life here was a woman who had the opportunity to allow the spirit of god now to rule and reign in her life but listen to what happens her husband and her had a plot of land that they sold. And they were going to give the money to the church. Now at this time, in this this new introduction in the church and God's spirit being released on the earth, you know, people just all of a sudden got a great understanding of what's eternal and what really matters. And they were so excited and so revived and refreshed in the spirit of God that they were just selling their property and giving all the money to the church so that the apostles could... Further the advance of the gospel because they just didn't care about their worldly possessions anymore. Well, Ananias and Sapphira had a plot of land. But they didn't have to give all the money to the church. They didn't even have to sell it. In fact, in Acts chapter 5, verse 4, Peter speaks to Ananias because what happens is Ananias comes in and he tells Peter that he has sold the plot of land and that he's going to give all the money to the church. But see, Peter empowered by the Holy Spirit, knew that Ananias was lying and that he was only giving part of the money. And so Peter says to him, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. You've lied to God. And you know what happened to Ananias? He breathed his last and fell out dead. Not long after that, Sapphira came in. And Peter asked her in verse eight, Peter asked her, he said, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. And Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? See, they didn't have to sell it. And when they did sell it, they didn't have to give all the money. Why did they do that? I tend to think it was some kind of insecurity in them that they wanted everybody to think that they were doing this great deed because they needed to be built up by people. They needed the affirmation of others. And so they're still listening to these old emotions and thoughts and feelings of their soul instead of letting the Spirit of God guide them into all truth, into being people of righteousness and integrity. And because of that, Sapphira fell down and breathed her last as well. Here was a woman who had the opportunity to allow the Spirit of God to rule and reign in her life, to design this moment, but instead, in verse 9, we're told that she put God's spirit to the test. She tested him. She said, I'm going to allow my soul and my flesh to design my look today. And in this early time of the church, the lesson is very clear it still produces death. What a hard lesson. Why do so many of our lives reflect the awful death like effects of sin? Why when we look in the mirror do we see strife and hatred and lies and immorality and impurity and insecurities and all manner of other sinful things? Because we often choose, here's why, we often choose to allow our flesh and our soul to design how we live, to design our reflection, to design what kind of shoes we put on each day. Our lives reflect our choices. See, every day we have the opportunity to allow God's Spirit to rule our lives. But I'll tell you this, there will be a battle going on. Who is going to be in charge of your life? Who is designing your life? You get to choose. Is it your flesh, your soul, or God's spirit? See, the, the beautiful news is this. You have a choice now. Before sin, uh, before the choice was sin. That, that was the only choice. When, when you didn't have God's spirit alive in you, you didn't have another choice. We already looked at some scripture about that. But through His spirit, you've now been given. You've now been set free To make a choice. I love Romans 6. I wrote a Bible study on Romans 6. Recently called. uh, So long self. But listen to what it says at the beginning. It says what shall we say then. Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase. May it never be. How shall we who died to sin. Still live in it. In other words now that you've been set free. It doesn't make any sense at all to choose sin. It looks horrible in the mirror. It doesn't reflect the glory of God at all. I love how this says, may it never be. In other words, don't wear that. Don't wear sin. How many times have we as parents seen how ridiculous our child looks in something? We say, don't wear that. May it never be. You know, that's what God is saying to us. Don't choose to allow your soul to be the designer of your life's choices, your thoughts and your emotions. It's going to look as ridiculous as wearing two shoes. May it never be, he says. This whole chapter of Romans 6 is all about choosing who's going to rule your life. (laughs) It's a powerful chapter. Going through it and writing So Long Self was was just a... It it was a freeing experience. It was challenging, though. The Spirit of God alive in you wants to set us free. And we need to allow Him to be in charge. Don't be surprised if it's a challenge. It's a challenge. It was a challenge for the Apostle Paul. It is for everyone. Even Paul in Romans chapter 7 talks about the battle between the flesh and his spirit. We all struggle with that. Many believers are comforted by the words of Romans 8.1 that says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is that comforting? Because we all fall into allowing our soul or our flesh to rule us at times. We don't have to come under condemnation for that meaning we will never be condemned to have God's Spirit die within us again. That won't happen. We received it by grace. The grace of Christ, we keep it by grace. But there is a clear challenge and exhortation in these chapters in Romans 5, 6, 7, 8 to press on to a better choice, the better designer of how you should look so that when you glance in the mirror, you will be reflecting the God who made you. The designer of your life, the leader of your life should be the Spirit of God living within you That's why Romans 8, 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. In other words, you've been set free so that you can actually hear the Spirit of God giving you direction. What is the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus? See, the Spirit is always going to point you to have the mind of Christ, to think on Christ, to follow Christ's example. The law of the spirit of life all has to do with Christ's example of denying himself. And on the surface, it looks like it doesn't make sense. Oh, but it makes lots of sense in the spirit. See, Christ's example was that he denied himself. He denied himself and he put the spirit in charge. We always need to understand that when Christ came to earth as a man, He was fully God, but He was fully man. The Bible says that Jesus became like us in the flesh, and He dwelt among us. Although He is God, He humbled Himself. He became like us. He became spirit, soul, and body. In Hebrews 4, we're told He was tempted in everything, and yet He never, ever sinned. He never put his flesh or his soul on the throne of his life. He always listened to the spirit within him. He never exalted his flesh because of excuses like, Oh, it's just the age I am. I wanted to try something. It's a phase I'm going through. He never said and made excuses for sinning by saying, My feelings are hurt or I was confused or I couldn't see past the moment. You know, blah, blah, blah. Those are all the reasons we give for exalting our flesh or our soul. Jesus never did that. In the Gospels, we see just how committed Jesus is to denying himself, his will. He says in John six thirty eight, I have not come to do my own will, but his will. What about his mind? Well, in John chapter 8, he said, I don't think and speak on my own. I don't do anything on my own initiative, even his thought life, his emotions. Think about when he was in the garden. And he was sweating drops of blood. His emotions almost got the better of him. But he chose to follow the Spirit's leading. Don't think that he didn't feel what we feel and that he was tempted to exalt his flesh. In the garden, he sweat drops of blood. He went through the same wars that we do. He was tempted to exalt his flesh. But over and over again, he denied his flesh. He denied his soul. He set the perfect example for us all the way to the point of death. See, once we understand this, we can understand what he means when he says in Luke chapter 9, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. You know what? You know what that word is for life? Whoever wants to save his life, it's that word "suke." In other words, whoever is trying to save his own soul, his own mind, his own will, his own emotions, to put those on the throne, to make those have the priority, you know what, you're going to end up losing it. But if you lose your life, if you lose your soul for Christ's sake, then you're going to find it. You deny your will, your mind and emotions and do what God calls us to do. And then we find life. Galatians chapter 5, I want to read for you. Galatians 5, 24 and 25 says this. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, you've put your mind, your will, and your emotions on the cross. And you've allowed them to be done away with. And then it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. See, Jesus can tell us to crucify our flesh and deny ourselves because He did it. Many others, like Paul, can say, follow Christ as I follow Christ because they did it. They denied their own flesh and their soul that they might serve Christ and truly reflect the Spirit of God within them. And see, what we have to understand by faith is that life comes forth from that. When Jesus did that... Then greater life came forth, a glorified life for him. He now sits at the right hand of God. And not only that, he is now able to offer life to all of us. God always gives us more. But we have to believe that by faith when, we're ex- when we are denying our, our flesh because it's hard. I think nothing can say it better than Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through 4 precious, precious verses that just give us encouragement to press on in this life of denying self and following hard after Jesus. Listen to what it says. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. See, it was his faith. He knew. Despising the shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. See, ladies, no matter how hard it is, Jesus did it. We can follow his example I mean, it will be hard, but we haven't had to resist yet to the point of actually shedding our blood, have we? His Spirit lives within us, and we can be strengthened with power through our inner man by His Spirit and looking at His example and seeing when we deny ourselves what we're really choosing is life because God is going to bring up more life and more blessing and more glory into our lives because then we're following His Spirit and we're going to actually live out the purposes for which we were created. Let's finish this out by going back to the shoes. It never looks right to wear two different shoes. As a believer, it never looks right in the mirror either. (laughs) The reflection is never going to be right. When we're trying to live two different ways, one led by our flesh and one led by our spirit, maybe you're seeing things in the mirror that you don't like. Maybe you're seeing things in the mirror that are really a reflection of sin and the struggle of this life in sin. God has more for you than that. I would encourage you to listen to the Spirit. What is the Spirit leading you to do? What kind of shoes is He telling you to put on? What kind of pathways is He encouraging you to walk in? We have to decide who we want to reflect. Do we want to reflect God, the glory of God? We were made in His image. Or do we want to reflect ourselves? We were made to reflect Him. Let the Spirit put your shoes on every day. Let Him do that. Let Him do that. And may you walk in the foundation knowing you have a spirit, you have a soul, and you have a body and allowing the Spirit of God who now lives within you as a believer in Jesus Christ to lead and direct your life. He does that Through the voice of God in your heart and mind, it always matches his word. He does it through his word. He speaks to us clearly if we will listen and tune our heart to hear what he has to say. He has a foundation of truth for us to walk in, to stand on, to be firm in as we live in this life. God bless you.